Book Five of Laws by Plato, translated by Benjamin Joet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. Book Five. Athenian Stranger. Listen, all ye who have just now heard the laws about gods and about our dear forefathers of all the things which a man has next to the god his soul is the most divine and most truly his own now in every man there are two parts the better and superior part which rules and the worse and inferior part which serves and the ruler is always to be preferred to the servant wherefore i am right in bidding every one next to the gods who are our masters and those who in order follow them to honour his own soul which every one seems to honour but no one honours as he ought for honour is a divine good and no evil thing is honourable and he who thinks that he can honour the soul by word or gift or any sort of compliance not making her in any way better seems to honour her but honours her not at all for example every man in his very boyhood fancies that he is able to know everything and thinks that he honours his soul by praising her and he is very ready to let her do whatever she may like but i mean to say that in acting thus he only injures his soul and does not honour her whereas in our opinion he ought to honour her as second only to the gods again when a man thinks that others are to be blamed and not himself for the errors which he has committed and the many and great evils which befell him in consequence and is always fancying himself to be exempt and innocent he is under the idea that he is honouring his soul whereas the very reverse is the fact for he is really injuring her and when disregarding the word and approval of the legislator he indulges in pleasure then again he is far from honouring her he only dishonours her and fills her full of evil and remorse or when he does not endure to the end the labours and fears and sorrows and pains which the legislator approves but gives way before them then by yielding he does not honour the soul but by all such conduct he makes her to be dishonourable nor when he thinks that life at any price is a good does he honour her but yet once more he dishonours her for the soul having a notion that the world below is all evil he yields to her and does not resist and teach or convince her that for aught she knows the world of the gods below instead of being evil may be the greatest of all goods again when any one prefers beauty to virtue what is this but the real and utter dishonour of the soul for such a preference implies that the body is more honourable than the soul and this is false for there is nothing of earthly birth which is more honourable than the heavenly and he who thinks otherwise of the soul has no idea how greatly he undervalues this wonderful possession nor again when a person is willing or not unwilling to acquire dishonest gains does he then honour his soul with gifts far otherwise he sells her glory and honour for a small piece of gold but all the gold which is under or upon the earth is not to be given in exchange for virtue in a word i may say that he who does not estimate the base and evil the good and noble according to the standard of the legislator and abstain in every possible way from the one and practise the other with all his might does not know that he is most foully and disgracefully abusing his soul which is the divinest part of man for no one as i may say ever considers that which is declared to be the greatest penalty of evil-doing namely to grow into the likeness of bad men and growing like them to fly from the conversation of the good and be cut off from them and 
cleave to and follow after the company of the bad and he who is joined to them must do and suffer what such men by nature do and say to one another which suffering is not justice but retribution for justice and the just are noble whereas retribution is the suffering which waits upon injustice and whether a man escape or endure this he is miserable in the former case because he is not cured in the latter because he perishes in order that the rest of the world may be saved speaking generally our glory is to follow the better and improve the inferior which is susceptible of improvement in the best manner possible and of all the possessions which a man has the soul is by nature most inclined to avoid the evil and search out and find the chief good and having found to dwell with the good during the remainder of life wherefore the soul also is second in honour and third as every one will perceive comes the honour of the body in natural order having determined this we have next to consider which of the honours given to the body are genuine and which are not genuine this appears to me to be the business of the legislator and he intimates that they are to be ranked in the following order honour is not to be given to the fair or the strong or the swift or the tall or the healthy body although this would be the opinion of many any more than to their opposites but the mean states of all these habits are by far the safest and most moderate for the one extreme makes the soul braggart and insolent and the other illiberal and mean and the possession of money and property and distinction beats to the same tune the excess of any of these is apt to be a source of hatreds and divisions among states and individuals and the defect of them is commonly a cause of slavery and therefore i would not have any one fond of heaping up riches for the sake of his children in order that he may leave them as rich as possible for the possession of great wealth is of no use either to them or to the state the condition of youth which is free from flattery and at the same time not in need of the necessaries of life is the best and most harmonious of all being in accord and agreement with our nature and making life to be most entirely free from sorrow let parents then bequeath to their children not riches but the spirit of reverence we indeed fancy that they will inherit reverence from us if we rebuke them when they show a want of reverence but this quality is not really imparted to them by the present style of admonition which only tells them that the young ought always to be reverential a sensible legislator will rather exhort the elders to reverence the younger and above all to take heed that no young man sees or hears him doing or saying anything base for where old men have no shame there young men will most certainly be devoid of reverence the best way of training the young is to train yourself at the same time not to admonish them but to be seen always doing that of which you would admonish them he who honours his kindred and reveres those who share in the same gods and are of the same blood and family may fairly expect that the gods who preside over generation will be propitious to him and will quicken his seed and he who deems the services which his friends and acquaintances do to him greater and more important than they themselves deem them and his own favours to them less than theirs to him will have their goodwill in the intercourse of life and surely in his relations to the state and his fellow-citizens he is by far the best who rather than the olympic or any other victory of peace or war desires to win the palm of obedience to the laws of his country and who of all mankind is the person reputed to have obeyed them best during his whole life in his relations to strangers a man should consider that a contract is a most holy thing 
and that all concerns and wrongs of strangers are more directly dependent on the protection of god than the wrongs done to citizens for the stranger having no kindred and friends is more to be pitied by gods and men wherefore also he who is able to assist him is more zealous in his cause and he who is most able is the divinity and god of the stranger who follows in the train of zeus the god of strangers and for this reason he who has a spark of caution in him will do his best to pass through life without sinning against the stranger and of offences committed whether against strangers or fellow-countrymen that against suppliants is the greatest for the god who witnessed to the agreement made with the suppliant becomes in a special manner the guardian of the sufferer and he will certainly not suffer unavenged thus we have nearly described the manner in which a man is to act about his parents and himself and his own affairs and in relation to the state and his friends and kindred both in what concerns his own countrymen and in what concerns the stranger i will now describe what manner of man he must be who would best pass through life in respect of those other things which are not matters of law but of praise and blame only in which praise and blame educate a man and make him more tractable and amenable to the laws which are about to be imposed truth is the beginning of every good to the gods and of every good to man and he who would be blessed and happy should be from the first a partaker of the truth that he may live a true man as long as possible for then he can be trusted but he is not to be trusted who loves voluntary falsehood and he who loves involuntary falsehood is a fool neither condition is to be desired for the untrustworthy and ignorant has no friend and as time advances he becomes known and lays up in store for himself isolation in crabbed age when life is on the wane so that whether his children or friends are alive or not he is equally solitary worthy of honour too is he who does no injustice and of more than twofold honour if he not only does no injustice himself but hinders others from doing any the first may count as one man the second is worth many men because he informs the rulers of the injustice of others and yet more highly to be esteemed is he who cooperates with the rulers in correcting the citizens as far as he can he shall be proclaimed the great and perfect citizen and bear away the palm of virtue the same praise may be given about temperance and wisdom and all other goods which may be imparted to others as well as acquired by a man for himself he who imparts them shall be honoured as the man of men and he who is willing yet is not able may be allowed the second place but he who is jealous and will not if he can help allow others to partake in a friendly way of any good is deserving of blame the good however which he has is not to be undervalued because possessed by him but to be acquired by us to the utmost of our power let every man then freely strive for the prize of virtue and let there be no envy for the unenvious nature increases the greatness of states he himself contends in the race and defames no man but the envious who thinks that he ought to get the better by defaming others is less energetic himself in the pursuit of true virtue and reduces his rivals to despair by his unjust slanders of them and thus he deprives the whole city of the proper training for the contest of virtue and diminishes her glory as far as in him lies now every man should be spirited but he should also be gentle from the cruel or hardly curable or altogether incurable acts of injustice done by others a man can only escape by fighting and defending himself and conquering and by never ceasing to punish them and 
no man who is not of a noble spirit is able to accomplish this as to the actions of those who do evil but evil which is curable in the first place let us remember that the unjust man is not unjust of his own free will for no man of his own free will would choose to possess the greatest of evils and least of all in the most honourable part of himself and the soul as we said of a truth is deemed by all men the most honourable in the soul then which is the most honourable part of him no one if he could help would admit or allow to continue the greatest of evils the unjust and the unfortunate are always to be pitied in any case and one can afford to forgive as well as pity him who is curable and refrain and calm one's anger not giving way to passion and continuing wrathful with feminine bitterness but upon him who is incapable of reformation and wholly evil the vials of our wrath should be poured out wherefore i say that good men ought when occasion arises to be both gentle and passionate the greatest evil to men generally is one which is innate in their souls and which a man is always excusing in himself and never correcting i mean what is expressed in the saying that every man by nature is and ought to be his own friend whereas the excessive love of self is in reality the source to each man of all offences for the lover is blinded about the beloved so that he judges wrongly of the just the good and the honourable and thinks that he ought always to prefer his own interest to the truth but he who would be a great man ought to regard what is just and not himself or his interests whether in his own actions or those of others through a similar error men are induced to fancy that their own ignorance is wisdom and thus we who may be truly said to know nothing think that we know all things and because we will not let others act for us in what we do not know we are compelled to act amiss ourselves wherefore let every man avoid excess of self-love and condescend to follow a better man than himself not allowing any false shame to stand in the way there are also lesser matters than these which are often repeated and with good reason a man should recollect them and remind himself of them for when a stream is flowing out there should be water flowing in too and recollection is the flowing in of failing knowledge therefore i say that a man should refrain from excess either of laughter or tears and should exhort his neighbour to do the same he should veil his immoderate sorrow or joy and seek to behave with propriety whether his genius be set at good fortune or whether at the crisis of his fate when he seems to be mounting high and steep places the gods oppose him in some of his enterprises still he may hope that when calamities supervene upon the blessings which the god gives him he will lighten them and change existing evils for the better and as to the goods which are the opposite of these evils he will not doubt that they will be ever present with him and that he will be fortunate such should be men's hopes and such should be the exhortations with which they admonish one another never losing an opportunity but on every occasion distinctly reminding themselves and others of all these things both in jest and earnest enough has now been said of divine matters both as touching the practices which men ought to follow and the several characters which they ought to cultivate but of human things we have not as yet spoken and we must for to men we are discoursing and not to gods pleasures and pains and desires are a part of human nature and on them every mortal being must of necessity hang and depend with the most eager interest and therefore we must praise the noblest life not only as the fairest in appearance but 
if a man will only taste and not as in the days of youth run away to another he will find that this nobler life surpasses also in the very thing which we all of us desire i mean in having the greatest pleasure and the least pain during the whole of life and this will be plain and will be quickly and clearly seen if a man has a true taste of them but what is a true taste that is what the argument has to show the point being what is according to nature and what is not according to nature one life must be compared with another the more pleasurable with the more painful after this manner we desire to have pleasure but we neither desire nor choose pain and the neutral state we are ready to take in exchange not for pleasure but for pain and we also choose less pain and greater pleasure but less pleasure and greater pain we do not choose and an equal balance of either we cannot venture to assert that we should desire and all these differ or do not differ severally in number and magnitude and intensity and equality and in the opposites of these when regarded as objects of choice in relation to the will and such being the necessary order of things we choose that life in which there are many great and intense elements of pleasure and pain and in which the pleasures are in excess and do not choose that in which the opposites exceed nor again do we choose that in which the elements of either are small and few and feeble and the pains exceed and when as i said before there is a balance of pleasure and pain in life this is to be regarded by us as the balanced life while other lives are preferred by us because they exceed in what we like or are rejected by us because they exceed in what we dislike all the lives of men may be regarded by us as bound up in these and we must also consider what sort of lives we by nature choose and if we wish for any others i say that we choose them only through some ignorance and inexperience of the lives which actually exist now what lives are they and how many in which having searched out and beheld the objects of will and desire and their opposites and making of them a law choosing i say the dear and the pleasant and the best and noblest a man may live in the happiest way possible let us say that the temperate life is one kind of life and the rational another and the courageous another and the healthful another and to these four let us suppose four other lives the foolish the cowardly the intemperate the diseased he who knows the temperate life will describe it as in all things gentle having gentle pains and gentle pleasures and placid desires and loves not insane whereas the intemperate life is impetuous in all things and has violent pains and pleasures and vehement and stinging desires and loves utterly insane and in the temperate life the pleasures exceed the pains and in the intemperate life the pains exceed the pleasures in greatness and number and intensity and hence the result is that one of the two lives is naturally and necessarily more pleasant and the other more painful and he who would live pleasantly cannot possibly choose to live intemperately and if this is true the inference clearly is that no man is voluntarily intemperate but that the whole multitude of men lack temperance in their lives either from ignorance or from want of self-control or both and the same holds of the diseased and healthy life they both have pleasures and pains but in health the pleasure exceeds the pain and in sickness the pain exceeds the pleasure now our intention in choosing the lives is not that the painful should exceed 
but the life in which pain is exceeded by pleasure we determine to be the more pleasant life and we should say that the temperate life has the elements of both fewer and minuter and less concentrated than the intemperate and the wise life than the foolish life and the life of courage than the life of cowardice the one class exceeding in pleasure and the others in pain the courageous surpassing the coward and the wise exceeding the fool and the general result is that the one class of lives exceed the other class in pleasure the temperate and courageous and wise and healthy exceed the cowardly and foolish and intemperate and diseased and generally speaking that which has any virtue whether of body or soul is pleasanter than the vicious life and far superior in beauty and rectitude and excellence and goodness and reputation and causes him who lives accordingly to be infinitely happier than the opposite let thus much be said of the prelude or preamble of the laws and after the preamble must follow the strain or law or rather the true way will be to give an outline of the laws as then in the case of a web or any other tissue the warp and the woof cannot be made of the same materials but the warp is necessarily superior as being stronger and having a certain character of firmness whereas the woof is softer and has a proper degree of elasticity in a similar manner those who are to hold great offices in states should be distinguished truly in each case from those who have been but slenderly proven by education i say then that there are two parts in the constitution of a state one the appointment of officers the other the rules which are prescribed for them but before all this comes the following consideration the shepherd or herdsman or breeder of horses or the like when he has received his animals will not begin to train them until he has first purified them in a manner which befits a community of animals he will divide the healthy and unhealthy and the good breed and the bad breed and will send away the unhealthy and badly bred to other herds and tend the rest reflecting that his labours will be vain and without effect either on the souls or bodies of those whom nature and ill-nurture have corrupted and that they will involve in destruction the pure and healthy nature and being of every other animal if he neglect to purge them away now the case of other animals is not so important they are only worth mentioning for the sake of illustration but what relates to man is of the highest importance and the legislator should make inquiries and indicate what is proper for each in the way of purification and of all other processes take for example the purification of a city there are many kinds of purifications some easier and others more difficult and some of them and the best and most difficult of them the legislator if he be also a despot may be able to effect but he who without a despotism sets up a new government and laws even if he attempt the mildest of purgations may think himself happy if he can complete his work when best the purification is painful like similar cures in medicine involving righteous punishment and inflicting death or exile in the last resort for in this way we commonly dispose of great sinners who are incurable and are the greatest injury of the whole state but the milder form of purification is as follows when men who have nothing and are in want of food show a disposition to follow their leaders in an attack on the property of the rich these who are the natural plague of the state are sent away by the legislator in a friendly spirit as far as he is able and this dismissal of them is 
euphemistically termed a colony and every legislator should contrive to do this at once our present case however is peculiar for there is no need to devise any colony or purifying separation under the circumstances in which we are placed but as when many streams flow together from springs and mountain torrents into a single lake we ought to attend and take care that the confluence of water should be perfectly clear and in order to effect this should pump and draw off and divert the impure waters so in every political arrangement there may be trouble and danger but seeing that we are discoursing and not acting let our selection be supposed to be completed and the desired purity attained for evil men who want to join and be citizens of our state we will test by persuasion and time and hinder them from coming and the good we will to the utmost of our ability receive as friends with open arms another piece of good fortune must not be forgotten which as we were saying the heraclid colony had and which is also ours that we have escaped division of land and the abolition of debts for these are always a source of dangerous contention and a city which is driven to legislation upon such matters can neither allow the old ways to continue nor yet venture to alter them we must have recourse to prayers as men say and hope that a slight change may be cautiously effected in a length of time and such a change can be accomplished by those who have abundance of land and having also many debtors are willing in a kindly spirit to share with those who are in want remitting some and dividing some holding fast in a path of moderation and deeming poverty to be the increase of a man's desires and not the diminution of his property for this is the chiefest foundation of a state and upon this lasting basis may be erected afterwards whatever political order is suitable under the circumstances but if the change be based upon an unsound principle the political superstructure which is added will hardly succeed that is a danger which as i am saying is escaped by us and yet we had better say how we if we had not escaped might have escaped and we may venture now to assert that no other way of escape whether narrow or broad can be devised but a just contentment this is to be the rock on which our city is built for there ought to be no disputes among citizens about property if there are quarrels of long-standing among them no legislator of any degree of sense will proceed a step in the arrangement of the state until they are settled but that they to whom god has given as he has to us to be the founders of a new state free from enmity that they should create themselves enmities by reason of their mode of dividing lands and houses would be superhuman folly and wickedness how then can we rightly distribute our citizens in the first place their number has to be determined and also the number and size of the portions which are to be assigned to them and the land and the houses will then have to be apportioned by us as fairly as we can the number of citizens can only be estimated satisfactorily in relation to the territory and the neighbouring states the territory must be sufficient to maintain a certain number of inhabitants in a moderate way of life more than this is not required and the number of citizens should be sufficient to defend themselves against the injustice of their neighbours and not altogether incapable of aiding their neighbours when they are wronged upon this basis we will hereafter define the limits of theirs and their neighbours territory in act as well as word but now let us proceed to legislate with a view to perfecting the form and outline of our state the number of our citizens shall be five thousand forty this will be a convenient number and these shall be possessors of the land 
and protectors of the distribution the houses and the land will be divided in the same way so that every man may correspond to a lot let the whole number be first divided into two parts and then into three and the number is further capable of being divided into four or five parts or any number of parts up to ten every legislator ought to know so much arithmetic as to be able to tell what number is most likely to be useful to all cities and we are going to take that number which contains the greatest and most regular and unbroken series of divisions the whole of number has every possible division and the number five thousand forty can be divided by exactly fifty-nine divisors and ten of these proceed without interval from one to ten this will furnish numbers for war and peace and for all contracts and dealings including taxes and distributions these properties of number should be ascertained at leisure by those who are bound by law to know them for they are true and should be proclaimed at the foundation of the city with a view to use whether the legislator is establishing a new state or restoring an old and decayed one in respect of gods and temples the temples which are to be built in each city and the gods or demigods after whom they are to be called if he be a man of sense he will make no change in anything which the oracle of delphi or dodona or ammon or any ancient tradition has sanctioned in whatever manner whether by apparitions or reputed inspiration of heaven in obedience to which mankind have established sacrifices in connection with mystic rites either originating on the spot or derived from tyrrhenia or cyprus or some other place and on the strength of these traditions have consecrated oracles and images and altars and temples and made sacred groves for each of them the least part of all these ought not to be disturbed by the legislator but he should assign to the several districts some god or demigod or hero and in the distribution of the soil should give to these first their separate domain and all things fitting that the inhabitants of the district may meet at fixed times and that they may readily supply their several wants and entertain one another with sacrifices and become friends and acquainted for there is no greater good in a state than that the citizens should be known to one another when darkness and not light reigns in the daily intercourse of life no man will receive the honour of which he is deserving or the power or the justice to which he is fairly entitled wherefore in every state above all other things every man ought to take heed of this that he have no deceit in him but that he is always true and simple and that no other deceitful person takes any advantage of him and now comes the movement of the pieces from the sacred line as in the game of draughts the form of constitution being unusual may excite wonder when mentioned for the first time but upon reflection and trial will appear to us if not the best to be the second best and yet a person may not approve this form because he thinks that the sort of legislation is ill adapted to a legislator who has not despotic power the truth is that there are three forms of government the best the second and third best which we may just mention and then leave the selection to the ruler of the settlement following this method in the present instance let us speak of that state which is first and second and third in excellence and then leave to cleinias or to any one who has any choice the selection of that form of polity which he approves in his own country the first and highest form of the state and of the government and of the law is that in which there prevails most widely the ancient saying that friends have all things in common 
whether there is now or ever will be this communion of women and children and of property in which the private and individual is altogether banished from life and things which are by nature private such as eyes and ears and hands have become common and in some way see and hear and act in common and all men express praise and blame and feel joy and sorrow on the same occasions and the laws unite the city to the utmost whether all this is possible or not i say that no man acting upon any other principle will ever constitute a state more exalted in virtue or truer or better than this such a state whether inhabited by gods or sons of gods will make them blessed who dwell therein and therefore to this we are to look for the pattern of the state and to cling to this and as far as possible to seek for one which is like this the state which we have now in hand when created will be nearest immortality in the next degree and after that by the grace of god we will complete the third one and we will begin by speaking of the nature and origin of the second let them at once distribute their land and houses and not till the land in common since this sort of constitution goes beyond their proposed origin and nurture and education but in making the distribution let the several possessors feel that their particular lots also belong to the whole city and as the land is the parent let them tend this more carefully than children do their mother for she is a goddess and their queen and they are her mortal subjects such also are the feelings which they ought to entertain to the gods and demigods of the country and in order that the distribution may always remain they ought to consider further that the present number of families should be always retained and neither increased nor diminished this may be secured for the whole city in the following manner let the possessor of a lot leave the one of his children who is best beloved and one only to be the heir of his dwelling and his successor in the duty of ministering to the gods the family and the state as well the living as those who are departed but of his other children if he have more than one he shall give the females in marriage according to the law to be hereafter enacted and the males he shall distribute as sons to such of the citizens as have no children and are willing if possible or if there is no one willing and particular individuals have too many children male or female or too few as in the case of barrenness in all these cases let the highest and most honourable magistracy created by us judge and determine what is to be done with the redundant or deficient and devise a means that the number of five thousand forty houses shall always remain the same there are many ways of accomplishing this for they in whom generation is affluent may be made to refrain and on the other hand special care may be taken to increase the number of births by rewards and stigmas and by the instruction and admonition of the younger by their elders in this way the object may be attained and if after all there be very great difficulty about the preservation of the five thousand forty houses and there be an excess of citizens owing to the too great love of those who live together and we are at our wit's end there is still the old device often mentioned by us of sending out a colony which will part friends with us and be composed of suitable persons if on the other hand there come a wave bearing a deluge of disease or a plague of war and the inhabitants become much fewer than the appointed number by reason of mortality you ought not to introduce citizens of spurious birth and education if this can be avoided but even god is said not to be able to fight against necessity wherefore let us suppose this high argument of ours to address us in the following terms best of men cease not to honour in their natural order similarity 
and equality and sameness and agreement as manifested in number and in every quality of goodness and greatness and above all observe the aforesaid number five thousand forty throughout life in the second place do not disparage the small and modest proportions of the inheritances which you received in the distribution by buying and selling them to one another for then neither will the god who gave you the lot be your friend nor will the legislator and indeed the law declares to the disobedient the terms upon which he may or may not take the lot in the first place the earth as he is informed is sacred to the gods and in the next place priests and priestesses will offer up prayers over the sacrifices once twice and thrice that he who buys or sells the houses or lands which he has received may suffer the punishment which he deserves and these their prayers they shall write down in the temples on tablets of cypress wood for the instruction of posterity moreover they will set a watch over all these things that they may be observed the magistracy which has the sharpest eyes shall keep watch that any infringements of their commands may be discovered and punished as offences both against the law and the god how great is the benefit of such an ordinance to all those cities which obey and are administered accordingly no bad man can ever know as the old proverb says but only a man of experience and good habits for in such an order of things there will not be much opportunity for making money no man either ought or indeed will be allowed to exercise any ignoble occupation of which the vulgarity deters a free man and disinclines him to inquire riches by any such means further the law enjoins that no private man shall be allowed to possess gold and silver but only coin for daily use which is almost necessary in dealing with artisans and for payment of all those hirelings whose labour he may require whether slaves or immigrants wherefore our citizens as we say should have a coin passing current among themselves but not allowed among the rest of mankind with a view however to expeditions and journeys to other lands for embassies or for any other occasion which may arise of sending out a herald the state must also possess a common hellenic currency if a private person is ever obliged to go abroad let him have the consent of the archons and go and if when he returns he has any foreign money remaining let him give the surplus back to the treasury and receive a corresponding sum in the local currency and if he is discovered to appropriate it let it be confiscated and let him who knows and does not inform be subject to curse and dishonour equally with him who brought the money and also to a fine not less in amount than the foreign money which has been brought back in marrying and giving in marriage no one shall give or receive any dowry at all and no one shall deposit money with another whom he does not trust as a friend nor shall he lend money upon interest and he who borrows shall not be required to pay either capital or interest that these principles are best any one may see who compares them with the first principle and intention of a state the intention as we affirm of a reasonable statesman is not what the many declare to be the object of a good legislator namely that the state for which he is advising should be as great and as rich as possible and should possess gold and silver and have the greatest empire by sea and land this they imagine to be the true object of legislation at the same time adding inconsistently that the true legislator desires to have the city the best and happiest possible but they do not see that some of these things are possible and some of them are impossible and he who orders the state will desire what is possible and will not indulge in vain wishes or attempts to accomplish that which is impossible 
the citizen must indeed be happy and good and the legislator will seek to accomplish this but very rich and very good at the same time he cannot be not at least in the sense in which the many speak of riches for they describe by the term rich the few who have the most valuable possessions although the owner of them be a rogue and if this is true i can never assent to the doctrine that the rich man will be happy he must be good as well as rich and good in a high degree and rich in a high degree at the same time he cannot be someone will ask why is this and we shall answer because acquisitions which come from unjust as well as just sources are more than double those which come from just sources only and the sums which are expended neither honourably nor disgracefully are only half as great as those which are expended honourably and on honourable purposes thus if one acquires double and spends half the other who is the opposite case cannot possibly be wealthier than he one of them is a good man and the other i am speaking of the saver and not of the spender is not always bad he may indeed be utterly bad but as i was saying a good man he never is for he who receives money unjustly as well as justly and spends neither justly nor unjustly will be a rich man if he be also thrifty on the other hand the utterly bad is in general profligate and therefore poor while he who spends on noble objects and acquires wealth by just means only can hardly be remarkable for riches any more than he can be very poor the argument then is right in declaring that the very rich are not good and if they are not good they are not happy but the intention of our laws was that the citizens should be as happy as possible and as friendly as possible to one another and men who are always at law with one another and amongst whom there are many wrongs done can never be friends to one another but only those among whom crimes and lawsuits are few and slight therefore we say that gold and silver ought not to be allowed in the city nor much of the vulgar sort of trade which is carried on by lending money or rearing the meaner kinds of livestock but only the produce of agriculture and only so much of this as will not compel us in pursuing it to neglect that for the sake of which riches exist i mean soul and body which without gymnastics and without education will never be worth anything and therefore as we have said not once but many times the care of riches should have the last place in our thoughts for there are in all three things about which every man has an interest and the interest about money when rightly regarded is the third and lowest of them midway comes the interest of the body and first of all that of the soul and the state which we are describing will have been rightly constituted if it ordains honours according to this scale but if in any of the laws which have been ordained health be preferred to temperance or wealth to health and temperate habits that law must clearly be wrong wherefore also the legislator ought often to impress upon himself the question what do i want and do i attain my aim or do i miss the mark in this way and in this way only he may acquit himself and free others from the work of legislation let the allottee then hold his lot upon the conditions which we have mentioned it would have been very well that every man should come to the colony having all things equal but seeing that this is impossible and one man will have greater possessions than another for many reasons and in particular for the sake of equality in the various crees of the state qualifications of property must be unequal in order that offices and contributions and distributions may be proportioned to the value of each person's wealth and not solely to the virtue of his ancestors or himself nor yet to the strength and beauty of his person but also to the measure of his wealth or poverty and so 
by a law of inequality which will be in proportion to his wealth he will receive honours and offices as equally as possible and there will be no quarrels and disputes to which end there should be four different standards appointed there should be a first and a second and a third and a fourth class of citizens or whatever may be the name of the class assigned to them in these the citizens will be placed whether they continue in the same rank or pass into their proper rank in any individual case on becoming richer from being poorer or poorer from being richer the form of law which i should propose as the sequel of this would be as follows in a state which is desirous of being saved from the greatest of all plagues not faction but rather distraction there should exist among the citizens neither extreme poverty nor again excessive wealth for both are productive of both these evils now the legislator should determine what is to be the limit of poverty or wealth let the limit of poverty be the value of the lot this ought to be preserved and no ruler nor any one else who aspires after a reputation for virtue will allow the lot to be impaired in any case this the legislator gives as a measure and he will permit a man to acquire double or triple or as much as four times the amount of this but if a person have yet greater riches whether he has found them or they have been given to him or he has made them in business or has acquired by any stroke of fortune that which is in excess of the measure if he give them back to the state and to the gods who are the patrons of the state he shall suffer no penalty or loss of reputation but if he disobeys this law any one who likes may inform against him and receive half the value and the delinquent shall pay as much again out of his own property and the other half shall be the property of the gods and let every possession of every man with the exception of the lot be publicly registered with the archons whom the law appoints in order that all suits relating to money may be easy and quite simple the next thing to be noted is that the city should be placed as nearly as possible in the centre of the country we should choose a place which possesses what is suitable for a city and this may easily be imagined and described then we will divide the city into twelve portions first founding a temple to hestia and zeus and athene to be termed the acropolis which we surround with a circular enclosure and beginning at this point divide the city and the entire country into twelve portions the twelve portions should be equalized in this way the smaller portions shall be of good land and the larger of inferior land and the lots shall be five thousand forty in number further each of them shall be divided into two and the two sections form one allotment having a share of the land which is near the city and of the land which is at a distance let the portion which is close to the city be added to that which is farthest and form one lot and the portion which is next nearest be added to the portion which is next farthest and so on of the rest moreover in the two sections of the lots the same principle of equalization of the soil ought to be maintained the badness and goodness shall be compensated by more and less and the legislator shall divide the citizens into twelve parts and arrange the rest of their property as far as possible so as to form twelve equal parts and there shall be a description of all after this they shall assign twelve lots to twelve gods and call them by their names and dedicate to each god their several portions and call the tribes after them and they shall distribute the twelve divisions of the city in the same way in which they divided the country and every man shall have two habitations one near the centre of the country and the other at the extremity enough then of the manner of settlement now we ought to consider always that there can never be such a happy concurrence of circumstances as we have described neither can all things coincide as they are wanted 
men who will not take offence at such a mode of living together and will endure all their life long to have their property fixed at a moderate limit and to beget children in accordance with our ordinances and will allow themselves to be deprived of gold and other things which the legislator will clearly proceed to forbid them and will endure further the two dwellings the one centralized in the city and the other round about all this is like the legislator telling his dreams or making a city and citizens out of wax there is truth in these objections and therefore every one should take to heart what i am going to say once more then the legislator shall appear and address us o oh, my friends he will say to us do not suppose me ignorant that there is a certain degree of truth in these words but i am of opinion that in matters which are not present but future he who exhibits a pattern of that at which he aims should in nothing fall short of the fairest and truest and if he finds that any part of this is impossible he should avoid and not execute that part but he should contrive to carry out that which is nearest and most akin to it he should let the legislator perfect his design and when he has accomplished it he should join with him in considering what part of his legislation is expedient and what will arouse opposition for surely the artist who is to be deemed worthy of any regard at all ought always to make his work self-consistent having determined that there is to be a distribution into twelve parts let us now see in what way this is to be accomplished there is no difficulty in perceiving that the twelve parts admit of the greatest number of divisions of that which is included under them consisting of other parts which agree with them and are produced out of them up to five thousand forty and hence the law ought to order freight trees and deems and villages and also military ranks and movements as well as coins and measures dry and liquid and weights so as to be commensurable and agreeable to one another nor should we fear the appearance of minuteness if the law commands that all the vessels which a man possesses should have a common measure when we consider that the divisions and variations of numbers have a use in respect of all the variations of which they are susceptible both in themselves and as measures of height and depth and in all sounds and motions as well those which proceed in a straight direction upwards or downwards as in those which go round and round the legislator is to consider all these things and to bid the citizens as far as possible not to lose sight of numerical order for no single instrument of useful education has such mighty power both as regards domestic economy and politics and in the arts as the study of arithmetic above all arithmetic stirs up him who is by nature sleepy and dull and makes him quick to learn retentive shrewd and aided by art divine he makes progress quite beyond his natural powers all these if only the legislator by laws and institutions can banish meanness and covetousness from the souls of the disciples and enable them to profit by them will be excellent and suitable instruments of education but if he cannot do this he will unintentionally create in them instead of wisdom the habit of craft which evil tendency may be observed in the egyptians and phoenicians and many other races through the general illiberality of their pursuits and possessions whether some unworthy legislator of theirs have caused this result or some impediment of chance or nature for we must not fail to observe o megalos and clanius that there is a difference in places and that some beget better men and others worse and we must legislate accordingly some places are subject to strange and fatal influences by reason of diverse winds and violent heats some by reason of waters or again from the character of that subsistence which the earth supplies them which not only affects the bodies of men for good or evil but produces similar results in their souls 
and in all such qualities those spots excel in which there is a divine inspiration and in which the gods have their appointed lots and are propitious to the dwellers in them to all these matters the legislator if he have any sense in him must attend as far as man can and frame his laws accordingly and this is what you cleinias must do and to matters of this kind you must turn your mind when about to colonize a new country cleinias your words athenian stranger are excellent and i will do as you say end of book five recording in memory of mitchell edwards